2: Hello everyone and welcome back to Joke Bomb Audio, a podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm one of your hosts, I'm Aaron, and I'm joined by Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hi, how's it going? A big newsworthy week in Joshi. A lot to talk about this week. That's right. That's right. There's a lot going on uh, and it's been a crazy week, so uh, just in my own life. So I'm excited to just talk about Joshi with you. Uh, It's much more fun than like work.
1: Uh, I would, I would definitely agree with that, uh, sentiment. This is, uh, one of the parts of my week or every other week that I always look forward to love
2: talking Joshi with you, Aaron. Oh, that's very sweet. I we will talk about this later, but there was, uh, there were some moments in the big seedling tag match that were very sweet and, uh, made me think about how Joshi is just a very special type of entertainment and, uh. I also feel that way about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you want more sweet moments like that, you can follow us on Twitter at J audio. I'm at Aaron, like the car Taylor's at Tay You can subscribe to the show on the podcast app of your choice. Just search jumping bomb audio, get these podcasts as soon as they come out. Usually on Monday mornings, you can give us a five-star rating and a review. If you use the Apple podcast app, helps people find out about the show and uh, tell your friends if they like Joshi to check this out. And if you are feeling generous, head over to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio and uh, toss a little donation for your favorite Joshi podcast. I'm sure that's the reason why you're listening. So as Taylor mentioned, a lot of news to discuss. We'll be doing that. We'll be talking about all the big Joshi news that's uh, been going on, including the uh, stardom X seedling uh, thing that seems to be happening. We're going to talk about the uh, AEW Women's Tournament. Looks like there might be some Joshi involvement there. Uh, And we'll, of course, talk about uh, all the big shows that have been happening, Seedling, Stardom, and then uh, all the shows that have happened, just like we always do. So uh, I think I want to hop into to begin with uh, Seedling. So since we've last spoken, they, well, I mean, we speak a lot, but since we've last spoken on this podcast. Uh, Seedling has run two big shows, including a Coriquan on January 11th. And then uh, just this weekend, a show at Shinkiba, which was very newsworthy, uh, on January 22nd. Uh, But just in the interest of, you know, keeping things in chronological order, Taylor, uh, any big thoughts, any big takeaways from the Coriquan show on January 11th? Well, probably the two
1: big takeaways from that show were... In the sort of mid card of that show, Riko Kaiju, now part of the uh, Selfish Strawberries, which she joined at the previous seedling show after expressing some frustration about um, not being able to get victories, uh, managed to win, teaming with Asuka and Makoto against Aja Kong, Honorihana, and Brina Yamashita, uh, which is a sort of a big step. You know, Honorihana got her first win. In the company uh, about a month or so ago, and Rico Kaiju not far behind in getting a win. Um, Unfortunately, she wasn't able to follow it up on the 122 show um, because it they announced just before the show began um, that Rico was experiencing, I believe, um, some headache-like symptoms. She went to the doctor. Um, for tests, and they said that nothing was found, nothing out of the ordinary was found, which is always good to hear. But out of precaution uh, for her and her health, she was not on that show. But at least on this show, she was able to wrestle and get the win. And of course, the other big news, uh, the biggest news of this show was in the main event, uh, the best friends, Arisa Nakajima and Sukasta Fujimoto, defeating the tag champion Seri and Yoshiko in a non-title match. Um, so that was big news, of course. You would think maybe they would get another opportunity at those tag titles, uh, but Nanai Takahashi came out and asked Arisa to team with her uh, to challenge for the tag titles, uh, which seemed at the time like a sort of interesting match that would happen. Of course, it came out a few days later that Seri would be leaving for um, America and WWE, the long sort of delayed departure of Seri. So that 122 match uh, was her, is and was her last Joshi match. Uh, She is now gone. She was actually booked for the one, uh, the January 23rd ice ribbon show, which she was taken off. And replaced with Arisa uh, on that show, so it sort of did a little bit choreograph the results of the one twenty two match. But I, I just want to say that best friends um, against Seri and Yoshiko. They wrestled, of course, back in uh, November when Seri and Yoshiko won those titles in a match that I thought was excellent. I went four and a half stars and I thought this one was even a little bit better. I just thought that this was sort of, if you're looking for a match that really fits into the spot of the exact type of match that I really enjoy and I really get into, it's this type of match, you know, going full speed, hard hitting you know, lots of near falls, very exciting. So this was really, um, for me, you know, an ideal match with four wrestlers who are super talented. You know, they all have sort of a lot of momentum. Um, and so I love the match. Aaron, what did you think of um, this tag match?
2: I liked it. I did not love it. Uh, quite as much as you did, which is uh, to be expected. I think that's that's usually how our, how our reactions uh, to certain types of matches go. Uh, one thing, and this may be unfair, I'm not sure, but one thing that brought it down for me was there were a handful of similar spots from the semi-main tag. It's like, well, this just happened. Could you have just not done those spots maybe <laughs> in this match? I thought that was a little weird. Uh, but overall especially the part where Sari and, uh, and Ariso like really went after each other, which is the highlight of most matches that involve Sari. Um, I thought it was really great. I, you're going to hate this. I was probably around four stars on this match. Hey, that still means you, you know, you liked it. So, you know, if you would have well, said, oh, it it was like,
1: if you said like, oh, it was like two and three quarters, I would have had an issue. <laughs> but, you know, four stars still means it's a good, you know, it's a good match to me. I mean, that's, you know, then you're, you know, the higher you get, the harder, you know, the harder it is to get to that top five-star level. So, but to me, and I mean, Arisa's is my favorite wrestler in the world. So I will always, you know, naturally have bias towards her matches, especially big matches um, that she wrestles in. So, Yeah, I just I just thought it was um, I thought it was excellent. Yeah. And a match that, you know, I'm looking at it, it went just under 17 minutes. It went 1659, which is really wild because you think of, you know, main events going seems like the trend is to go longer and longer nowadays. And 17 minutes is, you know, get in and get out speed.
2: Yes, it was an excellent uh length of the match, so i'm I'm interested to hear what you thought about the the main event on on one twenty two which I suppose uh we will get to in due time. Are you ready to go ahead and talk about that show? Yeah, so I guess it started with the really newsworthy event uh which is you know during your kind of your your traditional uh spot where everybody comes out before the show. Uh we have the the seedling roster in the ring in their in their very uh nice looking seedling track suits. And uh ultimately uh Mayu Iwatani, Momo Watnabe, and Saya Ida appear. And there's kind of a showdown in the ring, and uh some challenges are passed back and forth. Of course, this is all in Japanese and not subtitled, so basically everything I know is uh you know what you can kind of pick up from their you know, just the way they were acting with each other, just, you know, human, the way humans express themselves. <laughs> um, plus, you know, obviously the stardom account came through with some, with some translations, but basically we got some challenges for the, uh, stardom, uh, Nippon Budokan show. And, uh, basically we got a, a Mayu Iwatani challenge, uh, to, to, um, or is it, no, to Yoshiko. i About to fuck up this whole thing. And uh, Momo to challenge Nanai Takahashi. So uh, big matches for March 3rd.
1: Yeah, so, and we'll talk about the Stardom Show in a minute. But before the Stardom Show, and I don't think that this is on video, like on Stardom World, but there was a Yoshiko video uh, that was sent in that played, I believe, before the show that said, hey, I came... To your show, and I challenged you, Mayu, and I haven't heard back. So you have to let me know within a week whether you want a match or not. And so the the Mayu Yoshiko interaction, I believe, was the official yes, I'm accepting, and that is official for Budokan. I think that's the one match now that is set in stone. There, um, the Momo and Nanai match certainly seems like it's heading that way, and I don't know why they would sort of tease that match multiple times and then not do it. But I don't think yet that that one is um, official for the show. Um, But yeah, that is, you know, it was sort of just continuing that storyline of seedling versus stardom, um, mostly building towards, um, that Budokan show, but as we found out after the seedling shows, we'll talk about in a minute, there will be some stardom seedling, at least one stardom seedling match happening before Budokan happens.
2: Yes, on February 10th, we're gonna get Momo and Saya versus gosh, did you write it down here? It's Nanai it's, uh, and, Arisa and Arisa, right? Manai. Yep, yeah, so uh, a really I mean, just a killer match. I mean, it's like I've seen a lot of tweets like this, but I agree with them. It's like I'm basically physically incapable of doing anything until that match happens. I mean, I'm I'm
1: almost certain it will be uh, great. It's very exciting. And I'm glad, you know, obviously I'm excited for those, you know, whatever matches do happen to happen at Budokan between Stardom and Sealing. But I'm glad that it won't just be those matches. And that, as I said, we'll get at least one match, at least this match. And I would assume with still, you know, after the 10th, that'll be what, three, just over three weeks to um, Budokan that they might be able to fit in maybe one more match, um, whether that happens on a stardom show or on another seedling show is to be determined. But yes, very excited for that. I'm sure it'll be um, an an excellent match. I can't see really any world in which that match doesn't really
2: deliver. It feels like this is a, a pretty good trade for everybody. I feel like both sides are really getting good things out of uh, the interactions between the companies. Do, do you think one side is kind of coming out better than the other so far? Well, of
1: course, some of it does come down to you know, the results of some of these matches. If it turns out, you know, if they have the match on the 10th and maybe they have another match and they have the two matches that we know of at Budokan, so that's four matches. If, for example, Stardom runs over them in all four matches, then maybe you look at it and you say, well, you know, that might not be great. You know, obviously it's fun because it's building some sort of, interest in the promotion um, but of course that hasn't happened yet maybe they split two two maybe they have some agreement where they you know as I think I originally talked about that maybe there's some agreement where you know Yoshiko goes over Mayu if Momo goes over Nanai, so it's even so it isn't one promotion dominating the other promotion but I think so far you know as I said, it's created excitement, which is the point at this stage. That's what it should be doing. You know, if stardom showed up at these shows and everyone just sort of said, oh, okay, then I would say, well, it's not working. But, you know, obviously, everyone, as we're talking about now, we're both really excited for it. So I think currently, so far, it's doing its job perfectly.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it, obviously, I'm just uh, pessimistic. I assume. It's set up for Mayu to beat Yoshiko, but for Momo to lose to Nanai, (laughs) which is fine. You know, it it makes sense also. Uh, but yeah, I guess we'll see how that all plays out. And frankly, we'll see. People are going to hate this. Uh, what, what the business is like for the, uh, for the Budokan show, you know? So do these matches actually help add some, add some interest and sell some tickets? So, well, Well, yeah, not how that plays out. And I'm
1: interested to see whether there's any, you know, obviously the crossover from Seedling to Stardom is quite a bit less because Seedling, you know, doesn't run the number of shows that Stardom does and the venues that Stardom does, but to see if, you know, if it picks up business for Seedling, uh, which I'm sure is part of their goal in all of this, or whether it picks up business in, in Stardom, um, even beyond sort of the Budokan show, if you know someone sees these matches or sees this happen, and let's say after Budokan, there's there's no more interaction. Whether Stardom people, you know, see that and have any interest, maybe they don't. Maybe they just say, you know, I'm a Stardom person and I'm enjoying these matches, but I want to watch Stardom. But I would think, for a company like Seedling, that would be the hope would be to get more eyeballs, um, you know, to get all the eyeballs you can on the product, and hopefully convert some of those to fans of, of your shows.
2: Absolutely. So I guess we'll have to wait to see how all this uh, plays out. But as you said, it's uh, increasing excitement, which is uh, what you need to do to to start seeing some sort of business reaction to it. So it's all good. Well, let's dive into what else happened on the uh, January 22nd show for Seedling at Shinkiba First Ring. Uh, the match or the show rather kicked off with uh, Rina Yamashita defeating Honori with a rear naked choke. And I thought this was uh, a very good match. Yeah, I th-
1: I thought that this was a good match as well. I think Honori Hana is still sort of in the place where she has some, um, to my eyes, sort of rookie tendencies, I guess I'll call them. That might not be the right word, but she's still sort of, you know, obviously she's growing, but she still feels very much to me, sort of like um, in that rookie stage. And, you know, she's only been around for, you know, a year, a year, around a year. So it isn't, you know, like she's been around forever, but it's, you know, I like that she gets these opportunities um, on these shows to face very talented wrestlers one-on-one. You know, I'm always a proponent of getting younger wrestlers in one-on-one matches because it gets them all the time they need. Um, And obviously, as I said before, You know, she got her first win recently. um, And we don't know the trajectory of seedling rookies because she was the first. Um, So it will be interesting to see what happens uh, from here.
2: For sure. Uh, It's just, it's kind of a simple style of match where, you know, it's just kind of the experienced wrestler beating up on the inexperienced wrestler but i thought they did that very well uh honorihana had a really good comeback in the match the finish kind of abrupt but you know that makes sense also for the style of match i just thought it was a simple style of match executed very well basically uh they followed that up with a four way high speed match with sukasa fujimoto defeating akari uh, makoto and sukushi haruka um This is uh, more of a your style match, Taylor, so I'm hoping that you really enjoy it. (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I like that they have now sort of started to, in these high speed matches, you know, they've been doing these for, you know, almost as long as the promotion's been around. And I like that they've sort of started to add um, more of the sort of more of a through line to some of these matches with Sakushi. There was a Sakushi rule in this match um, as very similar to what Aaron said with the beginning of the show. Um, The rule was revealed at the beginning of the match in obviously Japanese. Uh, I believe what it was is that each person in the match was barred from doing uh, a certain move, and if they did that move that they would be disqualified from the match. I believe that's how that happened. Um, but overall, I think, you know, it only went nine minutes. It it wasn't overly long, but I think it's fun. You know, Sakushi is very talented, you know, very talented in ring, but also a really fun wrestler to watch. Um, had some good interactions with Fujimoto, um, her, her former, I don't know if I'd call it former, but you know, tag team partner in ice ribbon, um, And I was interested to see Akari, you know, she was also on the 111 show, Um, you know, to see someone sort of new who hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities outside of, you know, Pure J, where she's from, um, always interested to see someone sort of in a new situation to see what they can do.
2: After that, we had uh, Ayame Sasamura and Kaho Kobayashi uh, going to a time limit draw with Itsuki Aoki and Neo Mizunami. Um, what were your thoughts on this one, Taylor? So, I was actually most interested in the
1: sort of result, which was a time limit draw, because originally this was going to be a three way um, match with uh, Rico Kaiju and Makoto, who got moved down to the high speed match um, after Rico was pulled from the show. And I'm just wondering if the time limit draw came about, because a lot of these sort of undercard tag matches that they've been doing have been sort of part of the story of these different teams proving themselves worthy of tag uh, tag team title shots. And, you know, with the titles changing and the champions uh, breaking up, Kasari is leaving, you know, there is an opportunity for sort of a new team to step up and get that challenge and i was and i'm wondering whether it was planned that it would be rico and makoto winning this match and maybe then challenging for the titles and that when they were taken out of the match they said well we'll just sort of move that down the road and have them do a time limit draw i don't know if that's the case or they were always going to go to that draw um but you know a good match, but I don't have too much um, outside of that to say about it. Very similar to a lot of these sort of, you know, upper mid-card tag matches that they do with a lot of this. You know, itsuki Aoki's been in a lot. Uh, Mizunami's been in a lot. Uh, Kobayashi. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, basically the same. Uh, I think, thought it really picked up uh, down the stretch, especially the Sasamura and Aoki uh, interactions I thought were a lot of fun. But yeah, it was good. And it was like when it hit the time limit draw, I was like, oh, wait, it it definitely didn't feel like 15 minutes had elapsed. So I thought they did a good job. And uh, the main event was, as, as we've discussed a little bit, the Beyond the Sea tag title match uh, with Arisa Nakajima and Nanai Takahashi defeating the former champions of Sari and Yoshiko. Uh, I'm interested to hear if you liked this better or worse than the the Coriquin tag. So I liked this. I did not like it
1: as much as the Corakin tag. Um, I think it was a bit um, slower moving. obviously this one went almost 26 minutes so nine pretty much nine minutes longer than the other one. Um, I think it also was slightly hurt by the fact that Sari had announced, oh I'm going to WWE. And it didn't seem like a world in which she wins leaving the company. That didn't seem to really serve um, any sort of useful purpose for the promotion. So the outcome to me wasn't really in doubt either, which also may have um, slightly hindered my enjoyment of this match. I mean, I still really liked it. I went four stars. So I still think it was a good match. I also think my expectations. You know, I had just watched the other tag match, which I really enjoyed, and three of the four wrestlers from that match were in this match. So I think my expectations were also really high. So I enjoyed it, but not as much as the Corican and not as much as I really thought I was going to like it.
2: Yeah, I think maybe I set my expectations too high going into it. It felt like a very good match, but it didn't really transcend what you would expect from these four, like in a normal match. So, you know, I probably also was around four stars on it, but uh, I do think the, the uh Corwin match was better if I'm comparing the two, but some things that stood out uh, in this match. Well, one, I thought it was weird that Yoshiko took the pinfall. Uh, I would have personally just pinned Sari on her way out of the company. You know, uh, that would seem to make sense to me. Uh, but you got these, just incredibly sweet moments between Sari and Yoshiko Uh, before the match, they hugged like right before the match was about to start. It just was really cute. It felt like, I don't know, but it felt like they were saying to each other, like, Oh, this is our last match together. Uh, And then there was a moment. uh, I want to say it was in the closing stretch. It was at least closer to the end than the beginning where they were kind of all on the mat and they like reached out and like grabbed each other's hands and like, talked for a second i'm sure about whatever they were going to do next but it just felt so sweet <laughs> and uh you know seeing which this was common but Sari like jumping up on uh, yoshiko's back at the start of the match it's like it's just moments that you get in in joshi uh like emotionally vulnerable moments that i'm not sure you get in wrestling generally and in a lot of art uh generally uh, or sports generally where uh just really separates uh joshi from everything else that exists
1: Yeah, and I was happy, I mean, generally, but also this match. I saw that, you know, Yoshiko was in tears afterwards as they were taking pictures um, and sort of giving their farewell. But, you know, Seri was, and they showed many of these photos in the, you know, video packages that they did and things like that. Um, She was sort of part of the original um, four of Seedling. You know, it was really these four wrestlers that were in this match. And, you know, then she was recruited for the Mae Young Classic and they told her she couldn't go. And then she ended up leaving and going to Diana. And it always just sort of felt like a strange thing. You know, it wasn't really clear if there was, you know, anger there or what sort of the the true feelings were. Um, But I was happy to see her sort of come back, get this opportunity, do very well and clearly enjoy herself while also obviously providing some great, you know, matches. Seri and Yoshiko weren't even together that long. They did really well in some of the year-end polls um, in Japan that came out, um, which was really great to see. So I was happy to sort of see a nice, you know, sort of ending to the story where she comes back, clears the air, I guess, and gets the opportunity to sort of have fun, you know, say farewell, Um, because, you know, maybe you don't know what the future holds with her. Maybe she's back in a few years, or maybe, you know, she goes off and she's very successful, and she never wrestles another Joshi match again. You know, you don't know, but glad to see her um, get these matches. I was also interested that she didn't take the pin, because she did take the pin in the Korakin show, um, which is a bit interesting that she took it there and not for this one. Um I also uh wanted to talk about Nanae Takahashi using the B driver in um this match as maybe a little call out to the
2: uh stardom roster. That's true. I guess I didn't really think of that, uh, but that's certainly uh I could see why that would stand out to you. Um the, the Sari thing is interesting as far as yeah, I mean she's what, 23 or whatever? So I think the likelihood is that she wrestles in Japan again one day. I mean, not as a WWE roster member, but like comes back to Japan at some point, um, just because time is on the side of that happening. But I think she's really going to be missed in the Joshi scene in that she brings, she brings something that not a lot of people do, uh, which is mainly just, uh, an absolute love of violence, of brutality. (laughs) She just, the the joy with which she seems to, um, hit the fuck out of people and, and get, uh, get hit very hard, I think is something that, um, not everybody has. I know that's kind of seen as like a, a common thing across Joshi, but I think Sari does it in a way that, um, shows a little bit, uh, extra joy that not everybody has, uh, so I will personally miss her very much. um, I've really loved her matches um for the last several years so it's uh it's very sad uh, to see someone retire at such a young age
1: yeah uh a big bummer um i will be I won't be watching, but I will be fascinated to hear about sort of how she does. She's sort of an interesting case because you are right, Aaron that she is sort of a big. You know, she's a big hitter. That's what she's known for. Um, And that seems like something that, that seems like it would be the first thing to go in sort of the more sterilized um, environment of WWE. Um, And you look at the people who have sort of come from the, you know, Joshi seen and gone to WWE and have had success. And you think about people with, you know, Asuka, you think about, um, Kyrie Hojo, you know, sort of people who are obviously very talented wrestlers, but who also have these sort of big larger than life personalities and hooks. And to me, that isn't the type of wrestler Sarah is. She's sort of business, you know, get in there and take care of business. And that's how I'm going to impress people. So I'm going to be really interested to see, obviously she's an incredibly talented wrestler. I agree with you. She's been, you know, close, either close to the top or at the top of the Joshi scene for the last few years, at least. Um, so I'll be fascinated to see exactly how everything uh, turns out with her.
2: Yes. I wish her the best of luck. Um... If that's what she wants to do, then I'm happy for her. I just uh, would prefer to see her stick around in Japan. It would be a lot more fun for me personally. And isn't that what's important? That's why okay. all but of, of, of course. shows are booked, just for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, for someone like her, it, it makes the most sense uh, in that I can't imagine uh, with, you know, being freelance, she was pulling down an, uh, an insane amount of money. She'll, she'll probably actually do better financially by going to WWE. Uh, but just uh, just a bummer as you said so we will see what what becomes of it uh let's move on to the stardom coricone show this is from january 17 i believe if i'm not messing that up that that is correct excellent um i've overall a very weird show i thought um a show where I really enjoyed the undercard more than uh, more than the main events or the the top of the card. Um, but I guess we'll get into that as we get into those matches. So let's start um, uh, with the first match. We had Saya Ida defeating uh, Unagi Sayaka in a Future of Stardom title match. Ida won with the Diamond Dust.
1: Yeah, I thought that this was really good. I thought it was a really fun match. You know, it was not. I thought that this was... Um, by far, sort of Sayaka's best performance in stardom for me. It's, it wasn't perfect. Uh, you know, there are some moments when I was like, ooh, keep it together, keep it together, which I think they did. There was nothing major in the match that was, you know, disastrous. But I just think, you know, Saida is improving really, you know, match over match, week over week, month over month, whatever you want to say, by leaps and bounds to me. She's someone who sort of had this, you know, character, this, oh, I'm rough and tough and, you know, pounding her chest. And I think that part of it is that she's, her in-ring stuff, her in-ring work has improved, but also her look, I think, has gotten a lot better. And I think she's gotten a lot more comfortable with the sort of character that she is portraying. This sort of, I'm strong, I'm going to, I'm very small, but I'm very strong and I'm going to go out there. I mean, she looks to me, uh, to my eyes, like she is getting stronger physically. Um, So I just thought it was a fun match. I think Saya has really added things to, I mean, her finish, I think is a really cool looking finish. Um, That um, sort of top rope uh, DDT, I guess you would call it in some fashion. Um, So I thought that this was really fun. I thought it was a great start to the show. Yeah, I thought this
2: was excellent. I thought that uh, Unagi, I don't know, maybe I was missing her really great stuff in Tokyo Joshi, but I thought this was better than I had any expectation it would be. Uh, You're right about Ida. Uh, I think the difference is, you know, she's always, this kind of felt like a comedy character for a long time. And then she just got ripped. And got much better in ring and I think developed um, a you know a confidence a matter of comfortability in like in her own gimmick in her own skin to where now it just feels real like she's just excellent uh so yeah it it's been a real boon to these cards to to start these shows with with the future of stardom title matches uh, it's really worked out so I, I was glad to see another one here. Well, and I think
1: that also giving her the title, you know, also gives her that boost of confidence where this, you know, the future of stardom, you know, title is good for this to say to someone, you know, we recognize you're working hard or we recognize that you're improving and here is some measure of that we see it. And I think to wrestlers like Ida, you know, they win the title and they say to themselves, well, this is acknowledgement that the work that i'm doing is being recognized and i think that gives them an even more an even bigger boost of confidence which i think has helped um ida tremendously
0: save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or seven up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
2: I absolutely agree with that. Uh, Next up, we had uh, Natsupoy defeating Konami. Uh, by DQ for uh, Konami trying to use a chair here in the match.
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, to me, sort of um, larger picture with this, it just, and we said this last year um, a number of times, it just feels like Oedo Tai is sort of, it's sort of sinking and there isn't a lot that the people in it can really do. I don't know that it's really the fault of, of the wrestlers in the group um, per se. It, it feels very much to me like they are the sort of you debut a new heel group, even though this, you know, Oedo Tai has been around in various iterations for many years. It feels like they've decided to say, well, this is a new group and we're going to establish their heels by they get They have interference in all of their matches. They get disqualified in all their matches. And then there comes a point when you've sort of established to the the audience, oh, these are heels that you can sort of dial back on that a bit, but it feels like they haven't dialed back on it. And so almost every 08-0 tie match, I watch and I sit there and I say, okay, I'm just waiting for the moment when cheating happens. And not even like cheating where, okay, someone gets in the ring, they hit, and then they slide out. It's like I'm waiting for the moment when someone cheats and they don't care enough to sort of hide the cheating and the match just ends in DQ, which has happened multiple times over the last few months, including this one where Konami just had a chair wrapped around Natsupoi, you know, in the middle of the ring in front of the referee, and the referee was like, well, that's a disqualification. I can't really get invested in these matches knowing that they're going to repeatedly, you know, end this way. I also think it didn't make Natsupoy look all that strong for what's coming up next, which is her challenge um, to sort of, you know, she gets the win. She did win, but not in any fashion that was convincing or you're saying, oh, she's really on a
2: roll now. Yeah, it was also a bummer because this was a really fun match, I thought, up until this point. It was something I was uh, enjoying quite a bit. Uh, and, yeah, maybe I'm dumb for enjoying it because I should have known this was how it was going to end. Uh, but they did waste a good match with the finish. Next up, we had a high-speed title match. Azumi retained against Kaori Yonayama with the Octopus Stretch. Uh, this, to me, I mean, my biggest takeaway from this was very short. Um,
1: I would have liked to see them go longer because I think what they had, they had some good stuff in the very short amount of time that they did have a match. Um, and obviously uh, Kaori, you know, sort of getting this rare appearance from um, just Kaori Yoniyama, um, you know, it sort of ended. And I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh, okay. I was thinking, okay, maybe we're going to go into more match here, but it didn't happen. So, I mean, I don't have that many thoughts, except it was too short for my liking.
2: Huh, I thought it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun to see uh, Yonayama doing, like, actual uh, wrestling in stardom instead of, like, the normal uh, death gimmick. So I thought it was fun. And then she cheap shotted her after the match, which was very funny. <laughs> so I liked it. Uh, but after the match, uh, yes, Knott's Boy challenged. Azumi for the Budokan show, um, and Azumi uh, pretty skeptical because Natsupoy just joined Stardom. So I guess it wasn't official, but again, a match that will presumably uh, happen.
1: Yeah, I'm sort of, um, I'm I'm interested by Natsupoy because she feels like the person in Donna Del Mondo to me who is the least, who has been sort of the least... Uh, Defined probably isn't the right word, but it just seems like, in terms of the structure of the group, she seems to me to be at the bottom of the group. Obviously, Julia and Shuri are at the top. And then I think it would probably be Micah, who's gotten a lot of opportunities, and obviously the company sees a lot in her, and Himika. But Natsupoi just seems very undefined to me. Obviously, I know who she is from being in, you know. Tokyo Joshi for a while and the other companies that she's been in. It's just to me, it there's not a hook yet for her as to I'm not sure how invested the company is in her. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested to see if the, you know, Azumi – Sort of protesting the the match happening ends up just being sort of a smokescreen before they reveal that the match is happening, or if it works into some storyline where she doesn't get the match. Um, but but we'll see. But yeah, I'm still not clear on on where sort of Natsupoi slots in in this company.
2: I have a thought on that, but I want to save it for after the main event because it kind of ties in uh, to that. But we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, next up, we had Tom Nakano defeating uh, Starlight Kid with uh, with the Tiger Suplex, the Battle of the Tiger Suplexes. Tom wins.
1: Yeah, I thought this was a good match. You know, I always say, I think Tom is one of the most underrated wrestlers in all of stardom. Um, so always glad to see her get an opportunity. I mean, I'm glad the match went, you know, it went a decent amount of time. We talked about On the preview show about, you know, sort of these matches living in the world of the old stardom where the opening matches didn't really get a lot of time. You know, the Natsupoi Konami match only got just over eight minutes. This got almost 11 minutes. So I was happy to see them get some time because I like Tom and as I've said, Starlight Kid, I think is excellent. And I think they had a a very good match.
2: They did. Yeah, it's just more evidence that they should go. They should uh push Tom further uh do more with her uh they don't seem to be doing that but we'll see we'll see what's on tap for uh for we don't know what she's doing for Budokan yet, right? So I guess we'll see. We, we yeah we don't. I right, think there was an elimination tag match. The Queen's Quest team of Momo Watnabe and saya Mitani uh got the win. They defeated uh the teams of Himika and Shuri, B Priestley and Saki Kashima and Mayu Iwatani and Ruaka.
1: I think we're learning that Mayu Iwatani needs to stop going to the top rope in uh, matches that have over-the-top rope rules, uh, because this is the second match in a row where she's done something and just been tossed out of the ring, uh, which was quite surprising, you know, teaming, as we mentioned on the preview, teaming with Ruaka. You figure that Ruaka would be the uh, one to take the fall, but I think, obviously, the booking here was clear, um for uh Saya Kamatani for
2: later in the show absolutely um yeah the best to me the best parts of this match were the Momo and Shuri um interactions people won't be surprised by that of course because like you with Arisa uh Momo is my favorite but yeah that those were the strongest parts of the match for me then we had uh the white belt match um a no rules match Julia retained against uh Natsuko Tora with the glorious driver Uh, And I really hated this match, Taylor. Oh, wow. Interesting. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, of course, with this
1: type of match, you know, the thing always sort of in the back of my mind is it is a no rules match. And yet Oedo Tai, except for a few moments, stayed entirely out of the ring. You know, they brought in a table at one point. Um, to set up a table, and I think they did sort of that corner spot where everyone comes in the ring and, and you know, hits someone in the corner. But the every other show that they're on, in every other match, in this, you know, on this show, they have said, well, we're just going to blatantly, you know, have people in the ring. We're going to hit people with chairs. And yet in this match, which is no rules, they – are sort of very calm. Now, I guess you could make the argument, well, Julia had people at ringside, so they didn't get in the ring, whatever, whatever. I mean, that's always sort of my issue with these matches where you say it's no rules because then all of a sudden the heel has to act less heelish than in a normal match. Anyway, I actually didn't look, I didn't love this match. Um, it, it, I don't even know what I would give it star rating, probably three and I don't know, probably three and a half, you know, so I didn't love it, but I also didn't hate it. I thought they did some interesting things. I mean, I thought that the sort of use of the roofing tiles, I guess that that's what they were, I thought was sort of interesting. It was something I hadn't seen before. It's something that, you know, it looked painful to me. I wouldn't want to be dropped on those, you know, dropped on those roofing tiles. so I think I enjoyed it. I liked it as sort of a change of pace as it wasn't like, um, you know, sort of that upper card main event stardom singles match style because they had sort of the um, the tables involved and the tiles involved. I didn't think the outcome was really in any doubt. I know that there are some people who did think the outcome was in doubt, um, but I didn't. Um, I figured that Julia would win and she did. Um, so at the end of the day, I didn't mind it. I probably won't think much about it, you know, now that we've reviewed the show. Um, but I thought it was, I thought it was perfectly sort of passable. Um, and, and a good, as I said, a good change of pace from just sort of the singles, the sort of stardom singles match style.
2: The work is one thing, but what was the point of this match? Why did it exist? I mean, you got Natsuko Tora, who is like the leader, uh, the de facto leader, I suppose, of Oedo Tai. Um, and Julia has now beaten her in her own match, her own like style of match. This is the only type of match where you would anticipate Natsuko would be favored against someone like Julia, or really against anyone, the way she's been booked. So... Not only have they trained us to uh, understand that Oedotai is just going to uh, cheat as much as they can in these matches, but we haven't been given any reason to ever believe that Natsuko could win a big match. So I just, I hated this. And then afterwards, Julius' like, oh, you're pretty good without breaking the rules. Why don't you try that? And it's like, based on what? Based on what are we to believe that uh, Natsuko is any good at this point? And I'm talking about in kayfabe. If Oedo Tai doesn't cheat on her behalf. So I just, I didn't understand it at all. Um, and I hated it for that reason. I mean,
1: I totally understand that. But I, I think I'm now at the point where I've sort of just written off Oedo Tai because I think that they've just been so poorly booked in general in the last number of months that clearly, I mean, even Konami switching, which sort of, I think at the time everyone thought, okay, maybe this is a little bit of, you know juice to this group they get someone um who is well liked is a little bit of a different style than what they had in the group and it really i feel like we've now sort of settled back into the status quo of the group which is that the match results really don't matter i mean they'll win you know they win matches every once in a while um but just to me, it's a group that now at this point is really nothing. And it isn't, it isn't even really, to me, a point of, you know, a few months ago, there was some thought that, you know, Stardom has this roster, but there are a number of foreigners who aren't in the promotion. You know, I don't think Jamie Hayter coming back tomorrow and rejoining Oedo Tai, all of a sudden you look at Oedo Tai and you say, what, they're back. You know, they're back to full strength because they still have this problem of, well, sort of B wins, um, you know, B is obviously well booked, but it just seems like the group is so, I don't know, it, it just seems like there's no faith in really any of them to be any sort of top person in this company other than sort of like, oh, Oedo Tai has been around for a while, so of course Oedo Tai is going to stick around and still be happening.
2: Yeah, it seems to be a group that's surviving on the fact that uh, I believe they still sell a lot of t-shirts. So I think we're just going to keep getting, even though uh, we have no reason to uh, be interested in their matches in any way. Uh, After the match, Julia says she's going to defend the title at the next Coriquan in February, and this just struck me as, huh, they're running one Coriquan a month and doing reasonable sized crowds at those shows. That seems interesting. Well, in this
1: show, they had, you know, four title matches, obviously the high speed and the future are not as pre- prestigious as the other titles that were defended, but you know, this is a, you know, this is a sort of card where I, I think also they don't have, you know, sort of a big show and they're still trying to set, set some things up, but you know, and this card, was a strong card and they did a strong number, which has sort of been what we've just been saying. You know, if you run a stronger card, you'll get more people. And that is what happens. You know, and last month they did obviously the year on Climax, um, which is one of their sort of bigger shows because it ends the year and people are sort of on the holiday period. Um, so, yeah, this is good. It seems like at least a little bit that stardom has realized they've got to start sort of pushing more onto these shows to get people in the building, especially at a time um, where, you know, obviously a lot of things are going on with COVID-19 and it is now going to be even more, even unrelated to anything stardom is doing, it is going to be more difficult to get people in the building because of this, you know, state of emergency that was going on in Japan where the shows have to start and end at a certain time. But I think people are going to be less likely to go to shows unless you really build them in a way that draws, you know, that really draws them to see shows that they think are important.
2: I think it's also helpful not to run every two weeks like they were doing before or whatever. So, uh, yes, I think this is uh, going better. Uh, we close the show out with the Red Belt match with tommy Hayashishta defeating Micah with the BT bomb. Um, okay, I'll
1: start with positives. Um, I thought Utami looked really good in this match. I thought she she looked very aggressive in her offense. Uh, my favorite part of the whole match was the sequence where she stood up and she suplexed Micah, but just sort of tossed Micah like over very quickly. And then Micah stood up and I think gave her a side suplex or some sort of suplex. And that was, I think, maybe just over halfway through the match. And at that point, I thought, okay, here we go. We're like, this match is going to kick into high gear. And we're going to go. That was short lived, because my main takeaway from this is that it, to me, felt incredibly slow. It felt a lot to me Like if you imagine a, let's say a 40 minute match, you know, you sort of have the part at the beginning where they're wrestling, they're doing quick, you know, quick. And then you sort of build in the story of, oh, they're getting tired. They're, you know, it's been a long match. The time is going on their stamina. They don't have enough stamina because it felt a lot to me. Like it was someone does a move. We lay on the mat for 30 seconds. We get back up. Someone does a move, we lay on the mat for 30 seconds. We get back up, someone does another move. And that moment, when you had that quick sequence of suplexes, I was like, okay, we're picking up the pace. And then, of course, the pace sort of settled right back into this very slow, um, methodical um, pace of sort of move, wait, move, wait. That to me just didn't really draw me in. Of course, as usual, it was hurt a little bit by me thinking that Micah really had no chance of winning. I didn't see really any world in which she emerged victorious, which probably hurt as well. So it, to me, just felt very, very slow.
2: I think you are 100% right. And I think it was slow because it felt like to me, they didn't have a lot of ideas for a big Coriquin main event. It's like, hey, we've we've got the ideas for about half a match, but if we can stretch it out to a a 24 minute match, I look back and I love I'm someone who loved the first two matches that they had. So I look back at the lengths of those. The first time they wrestled in Just Tap Out, 1357. The second time they wrestled in the five star, 1355. So I think they have about 14 minutes worth of ideas and uh, they tried to stretch it into 24 minutes here and it, it didn't go well. That's that was basically my thought, uh, especially as you pointed out, when one person is very unlikely to win, that just requires a different level of of ideas, of creativity uh, to make the match more interesting. And they they were not up to the task uh, on this show.
1: I also and this um, it is sort of about this match because it happened in this match, but it's about a lot sort of generally is that I feel like wrestling has gotten to a point where this sort of stand in the middle of the ring and like hit each other with forearms segment has become almost a requirement for every match that people do. And when, you know, we were talking about Seri, Seri sort of does those segments and you can hear, you know, you can hear each hit. And there's an intensity to that that I think makes it really exciting. But I think a lot of these sort of forearm exchange sequences have become very rote and they become very, okay, this is what we're expected to do. So we're just going to do this sequence where we do forearms, you know, they don't make any sound. It's just sort of there because it's expected to be there. And you're like, oh, you know, they're really fighting now. And I would wish, you know, it happened in this match, but it wasn't, you know, egregious in this match. It just happened. And I thought, you know, it reminded me of that. I would like to see matches sort of get away from that unless you really have the intensity needed to sell that, you know, we're going for it. And we're going to stand in the middle of the ring and we're going to hit each other instead of it just being like, well, this is part of the match that everyone does. So now we're going to do it.
2: Yeah, I I think all that's fair. Um so it turned into a show that I liked a lot of the undercard and uh, didn't really care for the top two matches but that's okay you know, that's going to happen from time to time uh, after the main event uh Utami said she needed a challenger for uh the Budokan show and Saya Kamitani emerges uh to I, mean, I know the crowds aren't making like noise with their mouth but no no claps no nothing when <laughs> Saya challenges uh, but uh you know, Utami basically accepts, so that's gonna be apparently the red belt match, and it just struck me how bizarre this is that like and, and this was what I also what I was thinking about related to Natsupoy when you were talking about her earlier. It's like Stardom has decided that they have Mayu, uh Julia, and Utami, and those are like this era of stars. And then they seem to have decided that the next stars are going to be, uh, you know, people like Azumi and Sai Tani, who are like, I mean, I know Azumi has been around for a long time, but who are younger and newer. And it feels like everybody in the middle is just like, they just exist. Like, obviously, uh, you know, for a lot of different reasons, they lost uh, several of their next era of stars. And, but now it's like, uh, Momo, Tom, no, you know, we're out on them. Uh, Himika, they don't seem to, you know, they had Sai Kamitani pin her in the, in the elimination tag. Uh, they don't seem to be trying to make her into a star, uh, or Shuri, um, or not or anybody. It's just like, we're going to focus on these people who are probably years away from, or should be years away from being at the top of the card and let like this morass in the middle just kind of exist. Um, now, they're still going to be able to like make a lot of fun matches and, and good shows uh, with that talent that they have there. But it feels like they don't have any interest in making those people into uh, champions or top stars in the company. So I think I agree with you. But in this one scenario, I think
1: I understand where stardom is coming from in terms of I would put money on the fact that the match originally was probably supposed to be Utami versus Kairi Hojo. Um, and then Kyrie, obviously, as we talked about last episode, is not able to do that. And you look at who has already challenged you, Tommy. You know, Micah, Momo. You look at who already has matches on that Budokan show. You know, Mayu is obviously going to have a match. Uh, Azumi, assumingly, as a champion, will have a match. Julia, as a champion, will have a match. Shuri, as a champion, will also have a match. And you're not looking at too many people who i think could be put in that spot so i think it is interesting that they or you know also good that it is two native stardom wrestlers for stardom's uh, biggest show in many years Um, although i do agree with you i just think in this one scenario um, they sort of were put into a corner when plans changed Um, and i also think that now it seems clear to me that I would imagine that Mayu-Yoshiko match would probably headline, you know, as two people who were in, were on the first show, were on the first stardom show. That's the way you can sort of sell it. And you have the Utami-Saya match underneath it as, hey, here's two stardom wrestlers fighting for the title, um, which is the draw of, of that match.
2: It was interesting what you said about uh, their biggest show. Their their biggest show ever, uh, Ryogoku in 2013, att- announced attendance 5,500. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's true. So, yeah, it'll, I'm not sure. I don't think they can beat that. But, uh, yeah, maybe they'll be able to approach it. I saw it just looking now. I see that New Japan in uh, late last year for the Best of Super Junior final did like 3,500. So uh, I don't know. Do you think that seems reasonable?
1: You know, it's sort of, you know, it, it's so funny because if you would have said, okay, the big match is Utami versus Kyrie Hojo, I would probably be thinking, well, that'll be interesting. You know, is a, uh, you know, I think she would be some sort of draw. Is she that huge draw? Without that match, I mean, I think unless, you know, we don't know the whole card yet, obviously. Unless there is something coming that we are not aware of, you're now de- you're now largely depending on. I think besides obviously your sort of title holders in the stardom roster, you're depending on Seedling to draw a big number, and you know that you know Seedling is not a big drawing company. Um, they're not a huge company. They don't have a huge roster. You know they do 400 and or they've been doing 400 or so at their that they, um, run. So I I think it's going to be tough unless there is something else up stardom sleeve, or unless they come out and they announce, you know, a bunch of just gigantic people for, let's say the, that rumble, you know, the all-star rumble that they're doing, you know, if they come out and they name huge, huge people that haven't been around or haven't wrestled, maybe that would help, um, but I do think that Kyrie Hojo missing the show does put a large hole in probably what they were expecting to help draw fans in. Uh,
2: I think that's fair. That's going to be interesting as we see uh, going forward. I think that's everything from that stardom cork one, unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about.
1: No, I think we, I think we got to it all.
2: All right. Excellent. Let's hit some news uh, notes. Want to start with the AEW women's tournament Uh, They had a graphic on the show this past week. They're going to be doing a 16-woman tournament, and the graphic had an American flag on one side and a Japanese flag on the other side. Led to a lot of discussion about whether that meant there was going to be a Japanese half of the show. Uh, You might know that it would be hard for AEW to come up with 16 American women (laughs) to have a tournament with. Uh, Emi Sakura tweeted that she's going to be involved, so it does seem like there's going to be a Japanese half, I assume, with uh Gato Move or Choco Pro and and perhaps some Tokyo Joshi Pro involvement. They've had they have a relationship with them in the past. Um, Any thoughts on that, Taylor, or how you think that might go?
1: I mean, I certainly think it's interesting. It's something that um, you know, a lot of talk about AEW has and the women's division has been, well they can't get, you know, they can't get the Joshi in, they can't get the Joshi in, just wait until they get to Joshi in, that'll really help. And I think it is a good idea to you know, whatever they do. I don't know what the end point is. It's good to, you know, put these shows on and just have them in Japan. However you present this, I don't know if it's going to end up on YouTube or if it will be a, you know, AEW Dark thing, or if any of them really make Dynamite, which I can't imagine would happen. But I don't think there's anything bad to, you know, saying, hey, here's a tournament and here's a match that we shot in, you know, that was shot in Japan. And I know that there was some talk, or I think I read this that I know that um, Choco Pro, I think, was planning on doing some in ring shows in February. So that could be um, why they could be filming. You know, obviously, I think if Choco Pro is involved, I think AEW would probably say, hey, can they be in ring, you know, in ring matches as opposed to at um, Ichigawa Chocolate Square? Um, but you could also do four people from Choco Pro and you could do four people from Tokyo Joshi. And I think that you could probably come up with a pretty strong, um, roster. If you're only looking for eight women between Tokyo Joshi and Choco Pro, you could probably come up with that easily. I know a couple hours ago, um, Asuka, uh, Japan's Asuka, not WWE's Asuka tweeted, um, About, does anyone remember Vaney, which was going to be her name on uh, the 2020 WrestleMania weekend? Uh, She was going to come over, and that was going to be her name, I think, to avoid confusion with WWE's Oscar. So she said, Does anyone remember it? She had an American flag. You know, that could mean that she is involved in this tournament. I don't know. Maybe she has some secret WWE offer that no one knows or no one has talked about. Uh, I hope that's not it because I think, and I have been saying um, for a while that I think Asuka would be a huge get uh, for AEW. I think she really ticks all the boxes of someone that they are looking for for that division in terms of in-ring, you know, personality, character-wise. So I am really, um, I'm looking forward to it. I'm interested to see how it's done, who's in it um how it's presented on AEW, but I think it's going to be a great opportunity for whoever um gets
2: in. It just occurred to me when you said that. I'd never thought of it until this very moment, but they could have been doing this all along. They could have just had like AEW Japan like filmed some matches occasionally to put on dark or whatever. Uh, and that would have been much more interesting than than anything else that they've done. But uh anyway, that would be fun. The, some of the also some of the um talk or rumors is that they're trying to get Riho, uh, into the United States, uh, presumably to stay. I know she finished up with stardom, haven't seen her doing any other freelance work since then. Uh, but you know, the idea would be that she would win the Japanese side of the tournament and then face, uh, Hikaru Shida, uh, once she's back in America, uh, pr- presumably for presumably at the revolution pay-per-view, which they just announced is going to be on March 7th, I believe.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems clear to me, whoever is in the tournament, it seems like Riho is is going to be, and deservedly so. Um, still the focus, you know, she was the first uh, champion of, the first women's champion of the promotion, so it makes sense that she would be involved. And, you know, this is a good way. It would also be a good way to sort of get her back onto, you know, if it's not TV, onto wherever, onto YouTube, just to say, hey, remember her, sort of build her up instead of just bringing her back and throwing her out there and saying, oh, she's back, remember? Um, so overall, I think it's a great idea. I agree with you that I don't know why they weren't uh, doing this before. I mean, I think, personally, I think if they would have gone to Emmy Sakura and said, hey, will you film some matches for us, I think Emmy Sakura would have done it in a minute, um, you know, both because I think that they would have enjoyed that, and I think it would have been great publicity for Gato Moves, you know, Choco Pro. They always talk about on all these Choco Pro shows about how they're, you know, they have the AEW logo displayed. They're, you know, AEW-affiliated. They talk about AEW. They watch all the AEW Dynamites in their live watches. So they're obviously – they want to have some connection to aew so it would seem natural that you would reach out to them because they would be more than willing to you know to do whatever you sort of ask of them to get these matches out there and get people on
2: the shows all right uh you know if you're particularly interested in that uh, i talk about it a lot over at everything elite so go check that out um all right well let's talk about some other shows that happened uh in the past few weeks or the past couple of weeks. Uh we did have Stardom January twenty fourth. Uh they had Mayu and Tom Nakano go to a fifteen minute draw. Um, let's see, what else happened on those shows? Was there anything that stood out to you, Taylor, from, from those shows? The uh well, Osaka day and night shows? So the only
1: other thing, obviously, because the shows happen today when we're recording, so we've only right. seen We haven't seen adults. Um, is that they had a a three team twelve person elimination match, which was won by Oedo Tai. Uh, B Priestley threw Utami over the top rope to eliminate her during the match, and she challenged uh, Utami for her title. Um, don't know when that happens. It seems awfully early to sort of set up a challenge if they're going to wait till after Budokan. Uh, to do that, which would be in um, almost a month and a half time. So maybe there's sort of some sort of interim, maybe at the next Korokin, she defends it or whenever. But they seem to be setting up that direction of B. Priestley and Utami. Um, uh, Elsewhere, uh, Tokyo Joshi's Korokin is coming up on February 11th, so they're continuing to add matches uh, to that show. Uh, the new superhero tag team, Shin Ultra Shoko and Hyper Masao, challenged the Bakaretsu sisters for the tag titles. That will happen on that Korokin. And uh, Maki Ito and Mia Yamashita challenged uh, May San-Michel and Saki Sama to a match. That was originally Ito asked for a one-on-two handicap match. Um, it was denied, so Ito asked, Yamashita to tag with her, so it would be a two-on-two tag, and that was approved. Um, Ice Ribbon had their Korokin last night on the 23rd. Uh, We were originally going to cover that on this show, but it was picked up by Samurai, um, so it will air on Samurai on February 7th. I have stayed spoiler-free, so I don't know the results, but that was a big show with Tsukasha Fujimoto against Yuzu Suzuki for uh, the title, Micah Ozaki and Mia Yukihi against Rina Shingaki and Tehanma for uh, the tag titles. And on that show, that was the show Seri was going to be um, on that show, but her last date was the 22nd. So she was replaced on the undercard by Arisa Nakajima. Diana had another one of their dojo shows on the 17th. Um, the highlight of that for me, I, I tweeted a little bit about this on the Jumping Bomb audio account was the Kyoko Inoue and Nanami versus Luminous, uh, the Luminous team of Haruka Umasaki and Miyuki Takase. I said, and I still believe that if Lu- I think if Luminous gets enough opportunities on shows, you know, if they just build up sort of the pure numbers, I think they definitely have the talent to sort of be in contention for uh, tag team of the year award at the end of this year. I thought that this match was a lot of fun um, on the Diana show. It's on their YouTube free to watch. Uh, so worth checking out. Marvelous had two shows, uh, two pay-per-view shows. The first one was another road to Gaiaism ism uh, show with two Sendai versus Marvelous six person tag matches at the top of the card Uh, The big sort of story coming out of the um, January 12th show was Hibiki tapped out in the semi-main event to Eureka Oka, and it came out that she had left and gone home. She was originally booked for the 18th Marvelous show, and she was not on that show, and they sort of reshuffled the card a little bit. Uh, It seems to me that this is a storyline there was a lot on the 12th show about hibiki appearing very upset you know they took a picture of all the marvelous wrestlers in the ring after the show happened and hibiki stormed out and did not uh, take the picture with them Um, so that is something to sort of keep your eye on especially as they continue the story of sendai versus marvelous maybe hibiki ends up switching sides or something, but a sort of interesting story. They had that January 18th show, which was then main evented by Mio uh, three-way match, Mio, Momono, Rin, Katakura, and Mei Hoshizuki. Um, And that show also had Seri against Maria. As I mentioned, those were both pay-per-views, but the uh, 12th, the show on the 12th is already up on the Marvelous Nico channel that they now have uh which is great to see hopefully they'll put up the 18th uh, show very soon so if you didn't catch those you can you know get a month of the marvelous nico show and check those out they were fun shows uh wave um a big event on the 16th rin katakora and itsuki aoki defeated boston Mammy to win the tag titles that was a show that was also on pay-per-view Uh, It was discovered that internationally it was not accessible. So you unfortunately can't see that show, but wave is now aware of that fact. And they are looking into making sure that future pay-per-views are accessible to international fans, which is great to hear. Uh, And then they had a show today as well. Mio Momono versus Miyuki Takase sounds like a great match. And then Pure J, some news out of Pure J. Uh, the Princess of Pro Wrestling title has returned. They had a they're doing a very small tournament. They had the semifinal semi-finals. Uh, Momotani beat Chie Ozora and Akari defeated Madeline. And um, the finals of that match, so Momotani versus Akari is on February 7th. Uh, the Princess of Pro Wrestling. Title has been around for a while. It's been interesting. Good to see it back. Uh, um, Sari Ano had it in 2017. She defended it last in January of 2018, but didn't defend it for a year and a half. It was vacated, and Suzu Suzuki was awarded it at a September Pure J because she was voted the MVP of the show. Uh, Suzu Suzuki never defended that title, um, and so it was returned to Pure J at the end of December. So good to see that title back. It has a very long lineage starting in uh, JD Star. It's been held by Arisa Nakajima, Hiroyo Matsumoto. It was Hanakamura's first big um, title. It was connected with the JWP Junior title uh, for a long, so a very storied lineage there, and glad to see it back to give some juice to these Pure J shows. And then, of course... Uh, had to touch on very briefly the viral sensation of the wrestling world in the last week. Colego Pro uh, running their first week of shows, and they do have a Joshi division. Uh, the first week it was Anchamu, Hibiscus Me, Momoka Hanazono, and Sayori Ono, uh, who had a variety of matches. Uh, Anchamu and Hibiscus Me are the heels of the. Company, Momoko Hanazono, and Sayori Ono are the baby faces. For those of you not aware, Colego Pro is a new promotion run by Bodyguard. Uh, and their plan is they run shows Monday through Saturday every week. So Monday through Friday, the shows are um, sort of what they consider house shows. And then the Saturday show is their big end of the week, um, quote unquote, big show. That all these shows are available on YouTube on the Colego Pro YouTube channel. They're easy to access. They're actually very uh, breezy shows. If you sort of fast forward through all the ring cleaning and the you know opening introduction, you can get through most of the shows in like 45 minutes. Usually, Te Hanma and Saki are also announced for future shows. So something to keep your eye on if you're looking for some more wrestling to check out. Uh, head over to YouTube and check those shows out for free.
2: Very sad to hear, Taylor, that you have also decided to pretend that Colego Pro is a real thing that happens. Uh, we all know that it's fake and that everyone who's tweeting about it is uh, trying to catch me up in this in this obvious psyop. Uh, uh, I'm sad. Yeah, I have to tell you, Colego
1: Pro is pro wrestling, we discovered this <laughs> week.
2: <laughs> I have heard that. Colego Pro is a. Uh, a yakuza front <laughs> there's no doubt about it no other reason for running six days a week in a pandemic
1: <laughs> they, they did have uh their their attendance did increase many fold over the week i think their first show they drew 10 people and their saturday <laughs> show i believe they drew 50 people so at least they're heading the
2: right way i'll say that they are uh much money will be cleaned i feel confident okay and now let's talk about uh, the shows that are coming up over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have to figure out uh, what we're going to cover for our next show. Yeah,
1: so Stardom has a uh, fairly important show coming up on the 30th: Siri versus Momo for the SWA title. I think that should be good. I know that, Aaron, I'm sure you're looking forward to that match. Um, of course. And then B Priestley and Konami against Himika Natsupoi for the tag titles. That show also has a, a pretty fun Mayu versus Saki Kashima singles match, uh celebrating the 10th anniversary. Uh, both of them, obviously. Big parts of the beginning of the company. And then at night, so that 1:30 show, I believe, starts at 1 p.m., and then at 7, uh, stardom is doing their 2020 award ceremony. I know there will be autograph sessions there, but the biggest thing for uh, probably everyone who isn't attending will be that they will be announcing participants and at least some at least some more of the card for uh, Budicon. So Aaron, so far for for Budicon, we have Mayu Yoshko, Utami Saya. We're assuming Nanai Momo and possibly Azumi Natsupoi. Is there anything else that I'm missing? And we have the rumble, which has been announced and uh, Yusuke Aikawa is going to be in it, but I think she's the only one who's been announced for that match.
2: Yeah, I think you have, I think you've handled it all.
1: So I'm assuming that they'll announce some more people for that rumble. I'm assuming that, you know, maybe Chagusa Nagayo will be in it. Um, We'll see who else. And then, possibly a couple match. I'm assuming that every, uh, that every title would be defended on that show. So we would be looking for a future title match, a, you know, the confirmation of the high speed, whatever the tag title matches, which of course would have to wait for the result of the show before, as well as the SWA title. So hopefully after that show, we will have a pretty good picture of what's on that Budokan show, and they'll be able to really promote that show and hopefully draw a lot of fans. Uh, Tokyo Joshi has a pay-per-view coming up on the 30th. This is an interesting pay-per-view. They're going back to the original style of the promotion when the promotion first launched, which is wrestling on mats instead of in a ring. Um, That is the way their first few shows of Tokyo Joshi were done, very similar to the way Gato Move does their shows. Um, they'll, it will be held in the same venue that those original shows were held, Twin Box Akihabara. Um, so that should be good. And the main event is a mixture of veterans and younger wrestlers, Rika Tetsumi and Suzume versus Miyu Yamashita and Mirai Mayumi. Looks like a good show. I did... Watch their first pay-per-view on the OpenREC platform. It was very easy uh, to use, very easy to purchase the show, and then very easy to watch. Uh, okay. So if that's something you're interested in, I would recommend uh, checking out that pay-per-view. Um, other than that, there's not too much uh, going on in the rest of the world. Chaco Pro has a show on January 29th. That will feature both uh, Mitsuru Kono's graduation ceremony. She is unfortunately, very sadly, retiring. Uh, she had a great year last year, so sad to see her go. And that show will also feature the first defense of the all-Asia tag titles by the Best Bros, New Champions Best Bros. They will be defending against Yuna Mizamori and Chris Brooks. So that should be a very exciting show, something to look forward to. And maybe on that show, maybe we get some sort of announcement about uh, what is going on
2: with the AEW uh, Women's Tournament. That's all correct. So uh, hopefully we'll have uh, something that we get excited about we can talk about uh, next up. Okay. Well, I guess that's everything, right? We've, we've covered uh, the entire world of Joshi. We went all the way around it. Covered the whole... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Audio. I'm at Aaron like the car. Taylor's at Mambo. You can uh, subscribe to the show, please. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review if you use the Apple Podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. Uh, or if you'd like to donate to the show, you can go to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. I think that's it for us. Uh, so we will see
0: you in about two weeks. Bye-bye.